0: ready to go there two weeks ago uh, we reviewed the first part of Luke 11 which is the Lord's Prayer uh, the first section of his teaching, it's impossible really to read through the book of Luke and not see the priority that Jesus places on prayer during his earthly life. I think we walk through those passages where the disciples noted time and time again where, where Jesus was praying. They just observed him. He's going out early to pray. He's going out isolated to pray. He's going up on a mountain to pray. He's just, he's just praying, praying, praying. This is so obvious to the disciples. So they come to him in the first part of Luke 11. Says, God says, Christ, will you teach us to pray? You know, John's disciples taught him to pray. We're observing your life of prayer. And so the disciples, perhaps sensing their weakness, asked Jesus to teach them to pray. And we all would probably admit our own weaknesses in prayer, right? Everybody nod who has weakness in prayer, okay? I'm not the only one nodding. We, we, this is a struggle. And we mentioned this. We, we desire to pray because we're children of God. We want to pray, but when we get down to it, it becomes very difficult. And sometimes even... Someone said to me this week, I do pray, but I don't feel like God is listening. And I think we can feel that way sometimes. Uh, Sometimes we just become distracted in our prayers or we become discouraged in our prayers. We've been praying eight years for the church to grow and be strengthened and for souls to be saved. And we want, well, God, you're just not doing it. You're just not doing it. And so maybe that tends to cause us to just throw up our arms and give up. Well, last time, we won't review all of this, in verses 1 to uh, 5 or 1 to 4, the part of the Lord's Prayer that we really recognize and are familiar with, we said in, as Jesus starts to teach them to pray, he gives them a pattern for prayer, some, some structure to pray through. It doesn't mean that we recite this mechanically or, or you know, uh, kind of we, we have it memorized. Our Father who is in heaven, hallowed be thy name. That can, like as fast as we can say it, we just get it out and we say, or we repeat it over and over uh, that's not what the Lord intended. He didn't intend for us to say necessarily these exact words, but they were designed to structure first our priority in prayer, which is, "Father, hallowed be your name. Above all else, God, may you be honored and glorified the way you deserve to be honored and glorified in this life, in this world, and in my heart. And then after that comes our needs, which we are uh, encouraged to pray about, our forgiveness, our, our daily bread, and the power over Temptation. That's all I'll say in summary from last time. So, after he gives the structure, let's put it this way after he gives the structure, he tells two stories. And I think it's important for us to, to bear in mind as we look at this that the stories come after the structure. Okay, I'm going to mention that again later, but the stories build on the structure the structure is the important part like these are the things the priority of prayer this is the pattern for prayer and now the stories are going to illustrate something about the structure and I'm going to come back to that in a little bit I just want to put that in the front of your minds so so we can uh, we can come back to it and you'll say oh yeah I remember him saying that so we want to walk through this little story and what the stories are going to tell us is the attitude we should have in prayer okay the attitude we should have in prayer I want us all to be on the same page here because I think this morning in Sunday school and and right now I've mentioned I've mentioned hospitality and reception and kindness and friendship this morning and now prayer during this. Service. These are these are two things that our church desperately needs. Oh, I want our church to be growing and strengthened and built. And I think you do too, and prayer is a key. Okay, let's we've we've read the story, but if you glance with your eyes at verse five, we already read it, so I'm not gonna read the whole thing again. Uh, the two stories are these. Let's just summarize them. You're looking at the passage. The two stories are the friend at midnight, and the father, uh, the father and the son. I mean, those are. I, I can't word them any differently. The friend at midnight, and then the father and the son. So, let's begin by looking at the way Jesus starts both of these stories. He starts them the same way, with a little Greek phrase that is probably pulled from something that is called a Hebraism, which means it's a Jewish idiom, right? It's, 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 it's like saying it's raining cats and dogs. We have these phrases that we use in English. Well, there's a phrase, and I'm not going to say the Greek words, but there's a phrase that Jesus uses uh, one, two, three, four, five, six, seven times in the Gospel of Luke. To introduce stories. And I think it would be helpful for us to look at every one of them because we're going to understand something about the story. So in in the two places he used it in Luke 11 are verse 5 and verse 11. So 11.5 and 11.11. He introduces it with this Hebraism, this idiom. Okay, Look at verse 5. He says, Which of you, which of you has a friend and will go to him at midnight when you have a visiting guest? okay and then he says it in the same jewish the same greek phrase in verse 11 what father among you it's it's a greek phrase which of you now i'm going and and if the father has a son that comes and says dad can i have a an egg yeah here's son here's a scorpion okay that's the story he tells now let's look at the six other places in luke just walk through the passages with me chapter 12 verse number 25 i want you to see all of them with your eyes because we're going to make a couple of points here luke 12 Verse 25, same Greek phrase, which of you. It's not always translated in English, which of you, but I promise it's in the Greek the same way. Okay, the English doesn't always work out the same. Here it happens too. In 25 it says, Which of you, by being anxious, can add a single hour to his span of life? Which of you, by being anxious, can add a single hour. So if you're writing them down, okay, you got the you got the which of you has a friend at midnight? Which of you has a father will give his son a scorpion? Now you have which of you can worry about stuff and make your life longer? Okay, fourteen, chapter fourteen. Just we'll, these are all all in Luke, fourteen verse five. Uh, give, I hear the pages turn. I want you to look at. It. He said to them, which of you? Here we are again. Which of you, having a son or ox that falls into a well on a Sabbath day, won't you get him out right away? See it? Okay, next one. 14, same chapter, verse 28, just a few verses down. Chapter 28, you can even look at 27, who does not bear his own cross cannot come after me and be my disciple. 28, which of you, same Greek phrase, which of you builds a tower but doesn't count the cost first? I'm going to review all of them in a minute, I just want you to see them all. 15, verse 4, a parable about the sheep. Now it doesn't say which of you, but it says what man of you, but same phrase, I promise. What man of you has 100 sheep, loses one, leaves 99, goes find the one? Last one, 17, verse 7. Chapter 17, verse 7. This, this, is, this says, will any of you, but same kind of phrase, which of you, will any of you who has a servant plowing or keeping sheep say to come into the field and recline at my table? No, he says prepare supper for me and do my work. Does he thank the servant? No. Okay, now go back to 11. Let's put all these together and make some points. I hope you're following. Okay, we did that for a reason. So which of you has the friend, the friend who you go to to ask for food at midnight? Which of you has a son and you won't give him what he asks for? Which of you can worry about something and add an hour to your life because you're worried? Oh no, I have cancer, I have this or that. Well, worrying about it, add any time to your life. Which of you has an ox or son that falls in a well, and won't you get it out right away? Which of you builds a tower but doesn't count the cost? You know, you're going to build a barn on your property, but you don't figure out if you have enough money. Which of you has a hundred sheep, you lose one, you go get it. And which of you has a servant plowing, and you invite him into your house to eat? No, he does his work. So there's two points I want to make about all this. They both start with the letter P. Okay. Why does Jesus use this phrase over and over? First, to make it personal. To make it personal. You know what happens when he says this? When he says, which of you uh, has a hundred sheep and uh, lose one because it puts you as the subject of the story? Now, all of a sudden, you're thinking about you. Oh, yeah, if I owned a hundred sheep and I lost one, what would I do? Right? It, all of a sudden, you are the subject of the story. You begin to think about it a little more deeply. Which of you, if your son falls in a well, but it's the Sabbath day, you say, all right, son, We'll see you next time, right? No, you help him out immediately. Which of you does that? Which of you uh, can, can worry about something? Which of you builds something and doesn't think about it? So it's a personal thing. All of a sudden, you are the center of the story. You are the subject. Jesus does that to put us in the place uh, where we think about it a little more deeply. But second, not only is it personal, every one of these is preposterous. They're all preposterous. They all lead to the same answer. It would be like me saying, which of you, if your house was on fire, would run back in to save your jello salad? Right? Which of you, if your house was on fire and your baby was in there, would, it, right? You see, the, 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 the opposite answer, there's one answer to the question, and the opposite answer would be preposterous. Do you understand what I'm trying to get? You see what I'm trying to get at there? Like, who has a son that gives him a scorpion? Everybody's like, nobody. Who, has a, who builds but doesn't count? The only, only people that do that are the, the numbskulls. Who has a hundred sheep because everyone loves their animals? It's meant to be preposterous. The story is meant to be absurd. So the answer is clear. Okay, Now think about those two things as we go back to Luke 11 and walk through these stories. Story number one. friend at midnight now again you're the subject of the story here you are you are the one okay so as we as we walk through the story put yourself in that position verse five which of you which of you so we're talking to Pete. talking to tony talking to rose talking to you which of you who has a friend okay so you got to have a friend to be the the uh, in this story you have a friend and you run to him at midnight and you say to him friend lend me three loaves for for a friend another friend has arrived on a journey and I have nothing to set before him. Okay, so here's the situation. It's late at night, it's midnight, and a visitor arrives at your home and you are out of food. And you must get this person some food. So you run to a neighbor and ask him to lend you some food, but it's already midnight. This seems like a wild and crazy story to us. Because if it were us and people were arriving at midnight, we do one of two things. We either, we either are aware of it because they've been texting and calling and say, hey, we're late, we're running late, you know, we'll be there around midnight. It's okay. But if another person arrives at midnight, we usually call the cops or, you know, sick the dog on them or get our guns out, right? Because nobody arrives at midnight in this culture without there being either an emergency or a severe problem. But in biblical times, this is very common. Uh, the traveling, the inns, it's, it's not as stable or as uh, easy and in biblical times as well, we dealt with hospitality this morning, hospitality was seen as a sacred duty. You were obligated to provide for your visitors, even if they were strangers. Consider Genesis chapter 18, when Abraham had three visitors come and he, he quickly prepared some food for them. Even in Luke 15, with the story of the prodigal son, when the guy comes home, they kill the fatted calf, they had a feast. It's hard for us to sympathize with a story like this. So we have to put ourselves in the biblical culture where traveling was difficult and uncertain. When people arrived, they needed to eat. They hadn't just hit up a Taco Bell before they got there. You were expected to give them something. And he goes and he demands three loaves of bread. That seems crazy. This guy must be super hungry to need three loaves of bread. Uh, That was because the bread was used for everything in the meal, even as fork and spoon. To sop up. You remember even in the, in the Lord's Supper, it's used to sop up whatever is in the dish. The bread was not only eaten, but it was the utensil for dipping and for sopping. So you go to the neighbor's house. I got a friend. Remember, you're in the story. Which of you? Jesus says, which of you? You run to the friend. You're the guy running to the friend. Friend, I have another friend who just came and I need three loaves of bread. Well, what kind of friend are you, guy calls from bed. It's midnight. And he starts giving all these excuses. Okay, Look at the excuses that he gives. He gives four of them. It's, it's like a quadruple rejection here. First, don't bother me, verse 7. Don't bother me. Second, the door is shut. Third, everybody's in bed. Kids are in bed with me. We're all sleeping. Fourth, I can't get up and give you anything. It's a fourfold refusal. Don't bother me, the door's shut, we're all in bed, I can't get up. Now, what do you notice about that? Okay, what do you notice about that? Is that he can't help or he won't help? Can't help or won't help? Won't! Because one of the excuses isn't. Sharon's got it. Don't got any bread! Don't got any bread. At that point, you'd be like, oh, okay. He doesn't say that. He doesn't say, hey, we ate our last loaf tonight. Hey, we had a visiting friend at 11 o'clock and we ran out. No, all of his excuses can be easily responded to. Don't bother me. Oh, come on. The door is shut. Well, open it. Uh, we're all in bed. Well, you can go back to bed. Right? All of these excuses can be easily answered. He doesn't say, I don't have any bread. So again, you're in the story. So which of you goes to that Remember, hospitality is your sacred duty. Friend's stomach is growling back at your place. He says he continues knocking, continues asking. You don't give up. And finally, according to the passage, the friend relents. See it? Do not bother me, door is shut, children are in bed with me, I cannot give you up. I tell you, verse 8, though he will not give up, get up and give him anything because he is his friend, yet because of his impudence or impudence, he will, not a word we use a lot, he will rise and give him whatever he needs. Why does the friend finally get out of bed? Just think about that for a minute. Why does the friend, you're standing at the door, knock, 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 knock. Friend's hungry, come on, get up. No way, no way, no way. But finally he gets up. He gets up not because of his friendship with the man. Oh, I just love that neighbor so much. I'm so glad he's here knocking at midnight. Oh, what a joy to get up and bless my friend with my bread. Doesn't think that way. Well, that's the point. Yeah, that's what he says. It's not because of his friendship. It's because of his impudence. You got other versions. What other words do you see? That's the ESV. What other words? I wrote them down, but I want to hear what you I want you to look. What what other ver- because of his impudence, the ESV says, "Tony, I know you have another version. What do you have?" Uh, this is verse number 8. Because of his impudence, he will rise. His boldness. Okay, Not really a great translation, but it uses the word. Anybody got a different word besides boldness? Persistence is used. Persistence is used in the New King James and the New American Standard. Boldness is used in the NIV. If you're carrying a King James, it's a word maybe you've never heard of before. Importunity. Importunity. So you got all these different words, but the ESV uses the word impudence. We, we never use that word. We never use that word. The Greek word, before we describe it from an English standpoint, the Greek word that is used is Ana idea, A-N-A-I-D-E-I-A. Now, that would be a great Scrabble word if all you had were vowels in your board, right? Ana idea. Here's what it means. It comes from two words in the Greek. See, we have to translate the word. We can't just go to an English dictionary and say, well, here's what impudence means because it doesn't necessarily tell us. The, the Greek word comes from two words. Remember, whenever you put an A on the front of a Greek word, it makes it opposite. So it means without shame, That's what the word means. So really we could say it this way. Look at verse 8. I tell you he will not get up because he's a friend, but because of his shamelessness. Because Because of his being without shame. It also means reckless. Audacity. Bold even to excess. Boldness was the word used in the NIV. Rude. It's an abrasive term. In fact... It's, uh, it's really to get something at any cost without thought to, their, to any propriety or shame. And when it's, whenever it's used in Greek literature outside of the Bible, it's always pejorative, it's always negative, it's always meant to be a, 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 a down, downer as far as a characteristic. So who has the impudence? In, in, the, ver- in the verse, it's kind of hard to understand. Is it the man in bed who is impudent, or is it the man at the door, you, who is impudent? Because it says, because he is his friend, yet because of his impudence, it doesn't make any sense that the guy in bed is reckless, rude, or shameless. So it is the person at the door, it's you and me, who has the friend in our home, and we come to our other friend and we say, please, 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 it is with reckless shame that we continue to beg. Persistence is, is okay, but it's more of a reckless shame. So the man comes and answers us at the door. Remember, Jesus puts us in the story, which of you answers the door because we were shamelessly presumptuous. We asked for something that no one else would dare to. It was late. The, The request was huge, and it had already been denied, but he continues to ask for something that somebody else might be afraid to ask for. This is how we are to pray to be reckless, shameless, persistently uh, have audacity to come and, and pound, not on a friend's door, but of course on the door of heaven saying, God, you must answer me to continue in prayer that way. In other words, we don't drop hints in prayer. We drop bombs. We don't. We don't just kind of oh God, it would be nice if you would do this and then and then we don't maybe hear for a couple days and God, we just come back and we beg and we pound on that door. That is how we are to pray. Boldly, shamelessly, persistently. Quote, prayer is not to be a polite religious sentiment. It is a bold determin- determination not to give up until God hears. Is that how you pray? Is that how you pray? Continuing to shamelessly ask for things, persistently and boldly begging. Now, that's, that's an application, but there can be some errors that we must avoid. And then I want to share three of them with you before we get to story number two. Okay, three errors to avoid. First, and let, let me let me, before I give the specific error, let's be careful, like, why is Jesus giving this parable? You know, remember, remember I said at the beginning, and I'll come to this again, but the structure comes first and now the story. So the story is being built on the structure. And the structure is in response to the disciples' question, Lord, will you teach us to pray? So we have to be careful. He's teaching us to pray. He's not teaching us necessarily what God is like. So we can't equate God to the man in bed. That, that's, that's not the point of the story. And so here the, is the error. Number one, God is not bothered when we pray. God is not bothered when we pray, right? In the story, the man certainly is, right? Is the man annoyed? Is the man the man is like, get out of here. that we are not to relate God. That's an error. The, the point of the, the point of the, of the story is to tell us how to pray, not to tell us how God will respond. I want to make that real clear. God isn't annoyed. It, 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 the point is audacity and persistence, not that God is bothered. And in case we didn't understand that, Jeremiah 33:3, "Call unto me and I will answer you. First Peter five verse seven, "Cast your cares on me, for I care for you." First Peter 3:12. His ears are attentive to our prayers. Psalm 34 verse 15. "The eyes of the Lord are on the righteous. His ears are open to their cry." Psalm 121 verse 4. God does not slumber or sleep. God is not like turned in for the night. And we come and ask Him for something. Okay, will you come back to me in the morning or at a more convenient time? So do not equate God to the man in bed. That's not the point. God is not bothered. Second, God does not have to be cajoled or caressed into answering our prayers. He doesn't have to be pressed and begged. That's not the point. And third, this doesn't mean we never take no or wait as an answer to our prayer. It doesn't mean we just keep continually begging God for something that he has either said no to or refuses to answer for a certain period of time. Prayer is asking God to do what he says he will do. So the question I ask, and this is, here's, here's the main reason that I said at the beginning that the story comes after the structure. So So when we are pounding on the door of heaven, let's say, and say, and we're boldly and shamelessly requesting God to work, what is the subject or the content of our prayer? Are you with me? Let me, let me say it again just because maybe, maybe we just need to press pause here just for a minute to make sure we're all on the same page. Okay, he gives the structure which is the Lord's Prayer. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. That's the structure of the prayer. Now, here's how you are to pray with this attitude. Boldly, shamelessly, persistently, okay? But what should be the content of those bold and shameless prayers? What should be the content of it? It's, it, yeah, it's the whole structure that he just gave. Okay? Should we boldly and persistently pray that his kingdom come? And we explain what that means. Yes. Should we boldly pray that his will be done? Should we boldly pray to give us our daily bread? Should we boldly pray to forgive us our sins? Yes. Should we boldly pray to take away this health problem? Is that, in, is that part of the structure? Make my life easier, God! This thing just won't go away and I want it to stop. Just like Paul, thorn in the flesh. It's not part of the Lord's Prayer. Make this problem go away. Now, what if it's the salvation of a friend? The growth of his kingdom? The building of his church? Personal victory over sin? Meeting our daily needs? Are those things included? Absolutely. We think about the example of a salvation of our friend or the building of a church. Maybe these are two big areas of, of need in our lives. It certainly is in the area of our church. Anything that is included in the model prayer, we can shamelessly persist in those things. We beg and beg and beg. But here's a here's a quote that is meant to be convicting. It convicts me and it convicts you. So let's 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 use the example of the building and growth of our church because that could include the salvation of other souls too, okay? That's included in the Lord's prayer. Your kingdom come. We mentioned that. Like the idea that his his kingdom would invade the hearts of those who are his rebels and that they would by faith be convicted of their sins and repent and turn to christ alone for their salvation we can boldly and shamelessly pray that god would do that in the area of romeo now would you say that you have been praying that prayer shamelessly persistently or is it just kind of a passing once in a while would you describe your prayer i'm talking about you personally as, as praying earnestly and boldly and shamelessly like the neighbor coming at midnight and continuing to beg God to build this church and save these souls, or is it just a passing idea? Right. No one has to answer out loud, but the conviction should weigh on you, right? It does on me. And here's, what a, here's a quote regarding that. We must not, this quote, we must not play at prayer, but show persistence if we do not receive the answer immediately. Now, we have not received the answer immediately. There's not 200 people in the church today. Oh, how I wish there were. People who's, who would give testimony, their lives being changed. We love God's word. We want to grow. We're still struggling, but we love this place and we love God. We, we want that to happen. We all want that to happen, right? So, so how boldly and persistently are we praying for that? We have not received the answer immediately. So we say, well, I guess God doesn't want to build his church. Is it part of the Lord's prayer? It is. So we shamelessly and persistently beg and keep going. And the quote It is not that God is unwilling and must be pressed into answering. The context of the story makes it clear, and we're going to see that in just a minute, that he's eager to give. God wants to give. This is the conviction right here. Please listen. But if we do not want what we are asking for enough to be persistent, we just do not want it very much. You feel the weight of that? If we aren't persistent in the asking, in asking God to build this church, to save this soul, to work in this way, again, based on the structure of the prayer, then we must not want it very much. Do we trifle at prayer? Do we fail to persist? J.C. Ryle said it's much easier to start to pray than to keep praying. In fact, if you look in the passage, the forms of these verbs as we go on in this very familiar part, verse 9, ask and it will be given you, seek and you will find, knock and it will be opened to you. These are... These are words that are in tenses that that mean keep on asking, keep on seeking, keep on knocking. And it's an increasing levels of commitment. There There is an increasing persistence asking is pretty easy we just we just request assistance we recognize our need seeking builds on the asking now there is more effort involved and then knocking even builds on the seeking there's a there's a perseverance in begging god to to do this work and this increasing intensity calls us to praying passionately and persistently we're not in other words we don't get answers because our knuckles are bruising because we keep pounding on the door, but we are getting what we ask for because we're valuing what Christ has said to pray for. God isn't taking this problem away Because God never promised to take our problems away, but he did promise to build his church, forgive our sins, give us our daily bread, his kingdom. These are all things that Christ valued. So if we aren't valuing them enough to be persistent in prayer, why do we blow open these doors every week and just expect people to be here without ever praying for it? Follow what I'm saying? I mean, I'm I'm as convicted as much as anyone should be in this area. We need to improve in this way. Not just what we are praying for, but the way we are praying for it with this shameless persistence. Well, we've come to story number two. Okay? That's, there's plenty of stuff for us to build on there and apply to our lives. Let's look at story number two. Even just before we hit that, the, the guarantee is given to people who value what, what they are praying for regarding the structure of the Lord's Prayer, right? It will be given. You will find. It will be open. There's promises there. Anyway. Ten. Uh, the, no, we're, we're to 11 already. Okay, here's story number two. It starts with that Greek idiom again, which of you? So again, we're in the story, and it, it says father, but we could say parent, and you could put yourself in the story. What father among you, when his son asks for fish, will give him, Will instead of a fish, give him a serpent? He asks for an egg, will give him a scorpion, okay? Another absurdity brings us into this story. What kind of father would do this? Right? What kind of father would, when his... When his uh, when his son asks for something, gives him something harmful. What kind of father would do that? A cruel, cruel, evil father. Judas had his birthday list on the refrigerator for three weeks. He's got all these wonderful things that he wants. He opens up his present on Tuesday night, and his dad gives him a math book. Right? That we could use, what father among you, when his son asks for a Lego set for his birthday? This is in the Message Bible, probably. We'll give him a math book. Right? <laughs> That's what Christ is saying here. It's an evil, sinful man. And so then he argues from the lesser to the greater. He says, okay, if you, this is verse 13, if you, because you're evil, you're sinful, you're wicked, if you who are evil will give your sons good things, your children good gifts, then, if, then what about the heavenly father who is good? Won't he, won't he be good and won't he give? What this is meant to do, why this story follows the other story, is, to, is because sometimes we say, well, I've been persistent and God hasn't answered. We've all been there, right? I've been persistent and God hasn't answered. Well, why should we be motivated to continue to pray? Why, why should we continue praying? Well, here's the application. That God's fatherly care bolsters our confidence when we come to pray. Who is the one, you've probably heard this Who is the only one who will wake the king up for a glass of water at night? A child who knows the heart of his father. Maybe our prayers are weak because our opinion of God is weak and our confidence in prayer is shattered because we don't truly believe what the Bible says about God. This part of the story, this section, is meant to explain who the father is, right? Sometimes we view God as the man in bed who doesn't want to hear us and is annoyed and bothered when we pray. But Jesus is telling the second part of this story to tell us what God is like. He's eager to give. Hey, compared to you who naturally give your kids good things because you're even though you're evil you still do good, think of me as the think of our heavenly father who is purely and extremely and supremely good, won't he give good gifts too? When we know our Father's care, it bolsters our confidence. Hebrews 4 says we have boldness to enter the throne of grace, to obtain health, help and mercy and grace in our time of need. Um, my uh, my office door at First Baptist of Lapeer had a little window on it. It, it, it was like this tall and this wide, and I, I would shut it if I was in the midst of study, and uh, people might look through that window and see me working away. and you know, Oh, he looks so busy in there, and and they wouldn't bother me unless it was any of these little ones they didn't care they didn't even look through the window boom door bolts it doesn't matter if i'm on the phone or if i'm you know even sometimes with a person they know that they will always be what well yeah you are always welcome you're never going to get you're never going to unless they were told of course don't come in because there's something going on but but they they barge in because they know the heart of their father Romans 8.32, Shall not God who delivered Christ up for us all, will not also He freely give us all things? Our view of God may be affecting the way we pray. We have to consider that. But God's fatherly care, as I just said, should bolster our prayer and its persistency. Now, one final thing the passage says before we're done. There's a big surprise twist at the end. There's a big surprise that no one saw coming. I mean, these stories are pretty straightforward and they teach us two things. To be persistent and shameless in our prayer, as long as it follows the structure, right? We don't. I'm shamelessly pr- uh, praying for, uh, you know, a brand new boat. I always say boat. They say, but whatever. I don't know. I don't really want a boat, but uh, I want an Xbox. Lord, give me an Xbox. Why aren't you answering? Well, that's not in the prayer. We got to keep to the structure, right? James four talks about praying according to our own lusts. So persistency and shamelessness in prayer, as it as it correlates to the Lord's prayer, and then to recognize the giving good heart of our God, who wants and is eager to give. But there's a surprise twist what's the surprise twist you see it let's take a guess some of our families are gone today let's take a guess what's the surprise twist in the passage look down what what do you think the surprise twist is take a guess doesn't matter if you're wrong what what don't you see coming what what seems out of place anyone want to take a guess yeah that that's it where'd the holy spirit come from see that this just feels like it feels like you're saying huh We haven't talked about the Holy Spirit throughout the whole passage. Then all of a sudden we get to the end. Again, pick it up from verse 11 so we run into it. What father among you, if his son asks for a fish, will instead of a fish give him a serpent? Or if he asks for an egg, will give him a scorpion? If you then, who are evil, sorry to go so fast, let's pause, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will the Heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit? Isn't that a surprise twist? You kind of expect to see, and I even kind of quoted it that way, if you give your children good gifts... God will give you good gifts too. No, it says God will give you the Holy Spirit. Now, what sense does this make? Where did this come from? It is because the giving of the Holy Spirit and and what Jesus says here is actually the culmination and the high point of the teaching. This is the best part. It seems a little disappointing. It seems a little disappointing. Holy Spirit, uh, God, I wanted my cancer to go away. I wanted that problem to be eliminated. I wanted this to stop, right? But the Holy Spirit is God's greatest gift. Now, how does this work? Do you remember in the passage, uh, let me think here, in the passage where the guy comes, it may be the rich young ruler, that may be wrong, so don't, don't, uh, don't get mad if it is, but I think it's the rich young ruler who says, good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Familiar with that story? Good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus says, "Why do you, why do you call me good? Why do you call me good? There is only one who is good, and that is God. That's a paraphrase, but that's basically what is said. The Bible talks about no one being righteous and God being the only one who is good, and that's a particular passage that does that. So what we're saying here, and, and this is such an encouragement, if you who are evil know how to give good gifts, right? God doesn't just give good gifts. He gives the good one. Okay? Okay? And the good one is himself. The passage doesn't state that we are asking for the Holy Spirit, right? It says at the very end, Will the Heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask Him? That doesn't mean we're asking for the Holy Spirit. Oh, God, please give us the Holy Spirit. That's not what it means. It means when we ask things of God, He gives the Holy Spirit. Now, what sense does this make? I really want this to be encouragement. When we ask God to give good gifts, here's what God says. <laughs> this is the only way I could think of it. When we say, God, will you give us these good things that are in accordance with the Lord's prayer? Will you give us these good things? God says, I'll do you one better. You ever heard that? I'll do you one better. That's what God says. I'll do you one better. I won't just give you good things. I'll give you myself, the good one. How is the Holy Spirit described in Scripture? Scripture. Folks, do you need comfort? Do you you go to God and ask for comfort? God, comfort me in these afflictions. Comfort me in these trials. Comfort me in these testings. The Holy Spirit is called the comforter. So he doesn't just give you comforting things. He gives you the comforter. God, I need help. I need help. I need wisdom. The Spirit is called the Spirit of wisdom. The Spirit is called the helper. God, I just need, I need to know your truth. I need to know your ways. The Holy Spirit is called the teacher. God, I need strength. I need empowerment. In Acts 1-8, the Holy Spirit is called the giver of power. We are not given the gifts that we ask for. We are given the source of those gifts. The Holy Spirit. That's an incredible truth. That God gives us even more than we are asking for. He gives us His Spirit to comfort, to help, to teach, and to strengthen, and to guide, and to lead. And to convict, all these things are are given to us in the Holy Spirit. God is a generous and kind and loving, giving Father whose greatest gift is the Holy Spirit. Three applications and we'll be done. I think we've already talked about them throughout uh, the message. But let's, uh, let's review them so you can take these away with you when you leave today. First, let's be shamelessly persistent in our praying. Let's be shamelessly persistent in our praying. As long as it does what? I've said it over and over. As long as it does what? As long as those prayers do what? Conform to the Lord's prayer, right? They, they conform to the things, to the structure that he's given us. If, if it's in line with those things, just keep going to God and don't give up. Remember in Luke 18.1? Flip over there. We're only a couple chapters away. Luke 18.1, we'll get to this in our continuing study of Luke in a, a month or two. But in Luke 18.1, it says, he told them a parable. I'll give you just a second. I hear your pages turning still. Luke 18.1, he says, He told them a parable to the effect that they ought always to pray and not lose heart. He said, In a certain city there was a judge who neither feared God or respected man. And there was a widow in that city who kept coming to him and saying, Give me justice against my adversary. For a while he refused, but afterwards he said to himself, Though I neither fear God nor respect man, yet because this widow keeps bothering me, I will give her justice so that she will not bear me down with her continual coming. And the Lord said, hear what the unrighteous judge says. And will not God give justice to his elect who cry to him day and night? Will he delay long over them? I tell you, he will give justice to them speedily. See the truth there? Again, it's not that we're comparing God to a judge that is bothered. That's an error that we are to avoid. It's that the point is that this persistency in prayer is what is given, the reward is given to those who are persistent. Remind God of the scriptures. Remind God of his promises as you shamelessly persist in prayer. I was reviewing something very early this morning, and I believe it was the Puritan by the name of Thomas Goodwin who used this phrase, when you find God, God's promises in the Scripture, sue Him for those. Isn't that an interesting way of putting it? God, God says He'll do it. So go to Him and say, God, you said you would do it, do it. That's the shameless persistency we need. The recklessness in our prayers. And I, and I go back to the quote by Leon Morris where it said, if we're not praying for it persistently, it must be that we don't want it very much. That, that's the most convicting thing I think I've thought of all week. If our church isn't growing, it's not because God hasn't promised to do it. He says he he says he will build his church, but are we persisting in prayer? Application number 1. Let's be shamelessly persistent in our prayers. Application number 2. Application number 2. Don't stray from the content of the Lord's prayer. Don't stray from the content of the Lord's prayer. That must be the because it's important. I could say I could say Application number one, keep praying persistently, and, but if we're not praying for the right things, it doesn't matter. So that's why I said at the beginning, the story follows the structure. We've got to persistently pray that God's name be hallowed, that his kingdom come. It, these are the things we can, the content must be what we focus on. and We must focus on the right content or we're in error in our prayers. Go back to James 4 again. So let's not stray and pray selfish, selfishly. Let's not see God as being bothered by our prayers. Okay? So avoid those errors and pray the content of the Lord's Prayer. Third application and last, let us take comfort in the gracious giving character of God our Father. That is who we are going to. I just love that story about the, the if you know how to give your, good, your children good gifts, won't God give you the Holy Spirit? He is a gracious giver, wants to, wants and is eager to give. Let us shamelessly persist in the content of the Lord's Prayer while recognizing that God is the good and gracious Father. Shall we pray? Lord, we thank you for this study in Luke. We thank you for being a good father to us. I know that there are times when we all feel like you aren't listening, feel like you aren't responding, but I would, I would think that it's my case, Lord, and I confess it to you, and maybe others would agree, that we aren't persistent. We aren't, we aren't reckless in our prayers. We don't have the audacity of just continuing to come and ask. God, I believe that you will answer our prayers if we do as you've instructed us here in Luke 11, because you've promised that. If we ask, we'll receive. If we seek, we'll find. If we knock, you will open the door. Maybe we're just not doing that enough, God. Maybe I'm not. We do ask that you would grow our church. That you would save souls. That you would change the lives of families and children. We know this is in the content of the Lord's Prayer. We pray that your kingdom would come and invade the hearts and lives of people who were rebels. Now they want to turn to you and live for you. We pray that you would meet our needs, our daily needs. Not to access God, but that you would just take care of us and provide for us. We pray that you'd forgive us of our sins. and We have many. We pray that you'd forgive us of be- the sin of lack of prayer, prayerlessness. The sin of not, uh, not uh, sharing the gospel when we've had opportunities. The sin of laziness, the sin of apathy, the sin of pride. We have so many to confess before you, and we know that you'll forgive us. God, change our attitude towards prayer. We're coming up on eight years as a church, and we've talked about this so much, but maybe the lessons have not been learned. Please help me to lead and guide in this area to be a better and more persistent prayer. Most of all, to just recognize that you are such a good and caring God who desires to give good things to your children, primarily the Holy Spirit lives and indwells us. We thank you so much. We pray the lessons we've learned today we will carry with us and our lives will be changed in Jesus' name. Amen.